You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, um, as has been the case for quite a while now, there's just a, a lot of stuff going on. You know, a lot, but not a lot at the same time. Rumors, but who knows how much to put into the rumors. Draft stuff, but how much does that really mean? That kind of stuff. But we do need to get caught up, so I guess that's the goal to D. I do want to start with uh, just some kind of general NFL news that's been going on around, uh, you know, the worlds. Kind of just going down the list here, Ezekiel Elliott apparently um, choosing between the Eagles, Jets, and Bengals. And I'll admit, first of all, the fact that the Jets are even considering it kind of flies in the face of the Jets have done a great job with their running backs, Brees Hall, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond all that, it would be pretty wild where you've got on one hand this young group of Jets guys and this, you know, 49ers scheme-ish thing, although now they have Hackett, so I don't know what exactly the plan is. But then you got the Rodgers and Lazard thing, and then you drop Ezekiel Elliott in the middle. It's crazy. And then the Eagles, obviously, it's Cowboys-Eagles. It's a rivalry. So that's my, probably my favorite pick, despite the fact that, well, why would you want him to go to the Eagles? or such a Because uh, I just feel like it. That's why. Because it would be funny. Because it would hurt the Cowboys fans. And as much as they don't bother me as much as everybody else, it'd be kind of funny. Guy that they revered as a hero for so long is going to go to their hated rival. And then there's the Bengals, which... Amazingly, as good as they've been recently, they still feel irrelevant to me, which is strange. The seeming big news, obviously, with the Jets um, trading away Elijah Moore, which felt like maybe this was the thing, right? They traded away Elijah Moore, got a second, I don't know, I think they gave back a third or something, so it wasn't that massive of compensation, but the point is, you felt like it, it was one of two things, technically one of three. One, it was just what's best for the team. They wanted to move him, they got the best compensation they could. Number two is that this has something to do with the Packers and potentially they just wanted to accumulate more picks so that they could go back to the Packers and say, what about this? But that doesn't make any sense to me because you'd have to be complete idiots to go and do something like that without having anything official in place and just saying, hey, how about this? And then if that falls through, being like, well, crap, I can't go back on it because I already made the trade. So either they did it because they wanted to do it or they did it because they had a trade in place with the Packers. We just got to execute this. We'll get the pick and then bing, bang, boom, we're done. Since the deal is not done, it seems as though that is not the case. And in fact, there has been reports, which we'll get to in a minute, that that in fact had nothing to do with the Green Bay Packers. It was just the best deal they can get from a guy that they wanted to move anyways. It doesn't mean it won't be included in the deal. And it doesn't mean that it, it, it doesn't make things a little bit easier between the Packers and the Jets. But again, they're not going to do that just for the Packers and then not have a deal done. But yeah. I see that uh, some people are trying to make a big deal out of the fact that he trashed Zach Wilson. And the, the, in a tweet, apparently, he said that Deshaun Watson was legit. And I guess that's like a big slam to Zach Wilson somehow. Like, do you love your dad? Yeah. Dang! He said he hates his mom. <laughs> what? I don't know, man. People are bored. Maybe there was more to the quote, but they decided not to include the important part, apparently. Um, the... 
<laughs> Every time you feel like the Jets maybe are, are, are going to be able to do something to kind of, you know, get a little bit of that leverage, which apparently is a bad word these days. I don't know. I don't really see that much of a problem with it, but um, it just blows up in their face. Like I said, it's, it's going to be hard for them to even try to negotiate with Lamar because if it gets back to Rodgers, it's going to blow up that whole deal. But anyways, there was a, a moment in time where they were talking about Lamar wants to start making some moves and he's got this guy and they're talking to some people and doing these things. And it's like, oh, shoot, man, if, if they, you know, if they start doing something here, things could get a little dicey. Got to be careful. Well, the NFL just completely shot that in the face. Tom Pelosero posted, here's the full memo from the NFL Management Council warning teams not to negotiate with a man named Ken Francis about Lamar Jackson. Quote, violation of this rule may result in disapproval of any offer sheet or resulting player contract uh, entered into by Mr. Jackson and new club. The memo starts off by saying the NFLPA has informed us that a person by the name of Ken Francis, who is not an NFLPA certified agent, may be contacting clubs in an attempt to persuade club personnel to enter into negotiations with or concerning Lamar Jackson, who is currently under the non-exclusive franchise tender with the Baltimore Ravens. As an uncertified person, Mr. Francis is prohibited from negotiating offer sheets or player contracts or discussing potential trades on behalf of any NFL player or prospect. Th th this whole thing to me just feels like Lamar needs to get a freaking agent, man. Like, he's trying real hard, him and I guess his mom, to make stuff happen. And I get that you don't want to give a piece to a, an agent or whatever, but what, what are you doing, dude? What is this? Now you got some guy like trying to do stuff and now the NFL is going to block it because you're violating some rules because you don't know exactly how all this stuff works. That's the benefit of having an agent, man. You know, it's like not having a real estate agent. Like, I don't want to pay them a certain percentage. Do you know how much goes into this? The laws, the legalities, the paperwork, all that stuff. Like, come on, man. Plus, they have relationships. They work with people. They can probably help people out. You're just, this is not a good idea. Bottom line is he can only act on his own behalf or an NFLPA certified agent, which sounds like some BS, but whatever. So anyways, they're trying to get something going. They're, I'm sure they're trying to reach out to the Jets and some other teams like, hey, man, come on. And then the NFL's like, just so you know, if you talk to that guy or engage in any conversations with Lamar, uh, you know, as a result of speaking with this guy or whatever, there's a chance that this whole thing's just going to be shot dead. So that just resets back to zero. So... <laughs> Uh, sucks for Lamar, but as a Packer fan, it makes you feel good. Oop, there goes your leverage. Sorry. That leverage that apparently you're not even trying to get. Just sitting there and you're like, no, we're just going to talk to the Packers. I don't even care. It's just funny, the, the Jets getting a phone call about this and them trying to pretend like they haven't been in deep conversations with this random. Like, oh yeah, dude, that's crazy. I'll let you know if I hear anything. I haven't heard about that name before. That sounds super crazy. Dang it. Just, just burn it all. Burn all the stuff. I just, I can't win. Um, as for some Green Bay Packers news, again, I kind of alluded to the new-ish uh, report that came out. And uh, rather than just reading this, because I know sometimes people put their own captions which don't fully encapsulate everything, um, I will just let the video speak for itself. Really what the Packers may want yeah. in this entire compensation package. Expound on that. Well, Laura, the two sides have been stalled in their talks. There's been a standoff with Green Bay wanting more than the Jets are offering. The Jets feel like they're offering a lot. The Packers feel like they're not offering enough. And the two sides are left at a standstill. Chuck, real quick, I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you have any idea what has been offered by the Jets for Rodgers or no nothing concrete? Well, Dan, they've gone back and forth on this. And again, they haven't spoken much in the last week, but... It certainly sounds like the Green Bay Packers won a first-round draft pick somewhere 
in that trade. And yeah. that's not all. Okay. That's not all. So it's up to the Jets to figure out what they're comfortable living with. Now, I just want to point out, um, although he's very, very specific about this, which leads me to believe that there's some... I mean, of course, this is based on some intel, but j just so we're clear, he said it certainly sounds like. He didn't say the Packers are. He said it sounds like. So his estimate is that the Jets are offering a decent sum and the Packers are saying that's not enough because we want a one. And, and the interesting thing about that is that that may be a sticking point. In other words, they may be offering something that has the exact same value as what the Packers are asking for, but the Packers are sticking to we want a one. And and the problem is, I mean, if you want to talk about leverage going in the Jets' favor, if the Packers are absolutely stuck on not just a one, but pick 13, that is to say it's not just to save face. We want at least one first-round pick in this deal, but we want this year's one. Now you're sounding desperate for this year. Now you're the one with your back against the wall as far as the timeline goes. Now, again, as soon as that passes, all bets are off anyways. But that would be an interesting um, side note, at least to try to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, but again, it's not even for sure that that's what's going on. It sounds he, He's saying it just sounds that way. So I don't know how concrete this is. And what the Packers are comfortable accepting and then the two sides can go from there. Because it's either the, the Packers want the first round pick plus a second round pick, or they're willing to part ways for the two second round picks. And that's why the trade for Elijah Moore was made for a second round pick in relation to Cleveland. And then, like, if you, th that's just the way I look at it if you're the Jets figuring out what's the best way to acquire the number one piece of the offseason. Mm, you know, you think too. Obviously, yeah. there's. Oh, go ahead, Adam. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I don't think that's how the Jets view it, Dan. I think the Jets are viewing it, and they're trying to accumulate as much draft pick compensation as they can. Sure. They're not trying to meet Green Bay's price. They're going to come at this with different ideas and different packages, one of which might entice Green Bay. And after signing McCole Hardman from Kansas City, then the Jets figured, okay, Elijah Moore, who's wanted out, is now expendable. We can gotcha. trade him. We can get more compensation, and we'll figure out what it is later. It's not like you trade Elijah Moore for an added two, and now we're going to go go give Green Bay even more because we have an added two. I don't think that's how the Jets are thinking. Yeah, you never want to pick outside or not be able to pick in the first round, but you do think back to last year's draft for the Jets and how much they got in the first round as well as they've drafted of sure. late. That is probably a piece of some of their thinking too. And I'm just going to be that guy and remind everybody that um, – they draft really well in the first round. Yeah, they draft really well in the first round when they have the fourth pick overall. They've picked two people ever that are at pick thir 13 or later. Elijah Vera Tucker and Jermaine Johnson. That's it. Everybody else that this guy has drafted has been significantly higher in the draft than 13. The highest of which, of course, was Zach Wilson. So congratulations. But, but you know, that's not to say she isn't right. Maybe that is their thought process. Hey, we crushed the first round. And we suck in the second round. Again, I would kind of doubt it, but who knows? You know, we do a really good job getting these. Or e even if it's not so much I crush it in the first and I suck in the, in the, in the second, it's, it's more of just a based on how good they've been in the first or how fortunate they've been in the first, as contrasted with how bad they've been in the second, they may just look at it as this is where all the gold is. You know, there's a major talent drop off from the first to the second. And that's just how they think because that's where they have all their hits have been.
So anyways, and again, the, 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 this compensation thing is always up and down. You know, I, I was hearing early on these kinds of reports that the Packers want a first round and then some, right? I want a first, I want a second, and I want a player or something like that, which seems incredibly high. But that was apparently the price and apparently, you know, and, and then you hear that it, they're close, but not quite there. In other words, we would do two seconds and a couple players or something, you know, which again, my mind is like, are you freaking serious? That's the floor? Pull the trigger, dude. Um. But then later you'll hear that, you know, it's a, it's a low number. and that, So who knows, man? I really don't know. But that's where it stands as of right now. It's been very quiet as far as, as any real concrete information. And again, how concrete is this? I don't know. But just the fact that he's about as plugged in as you're going to get. Whether or not he's getting fed garbage information, I have no idea. We know that he was being fed garbage information all through that Rogers <laughs> situation, as was Ian and everybody else. And they reported it, and we fed into it and made us all look stupid. So who knows? The only bad thing about it is when you hear that, you know, Gutekunst wants a first and then some, if we get like a second and a player, it's going to feel like he failed massively, as opposed to if the, the story is, you know, the Jets don't want to give up more than a third and we get two seconds, Gutekunst freaking rolled him. Because again, if you come from the standpoint, which is the better way to go, Except in this case, <laughs> the, the best way to go is to say, well, what is the value? And then go from there. But the problem is, I don't think there is any value here. I'm obviously wrong, but I just, I just don't understand it at all. Why you would want this to be a part of your plan. But again, I may Gutekunst, Thompson, Ron Wolf, draft and develop, get them young and cheap and hungry and talented. You pay them once. If they're super good, you pay them twice, and then you get them out the door a year early. Let's pay a guy three years worth of salary for one year of maybe good play. That doesn't really factor in. That's not in the book anywhere. <laughs> There's no chapter on that in the Ron Wolf Book of Secrets. I'm pretty sure. I guess I don't know. I've never actually seen the top secret document, but I'd be willing to bet no chapter on that. And if there is, it's one page, and it just says, don't you freaking dare. But anyways, not that this necessarily matters, but it is good to kind of, it would be nice if there was a process. Maybe there, you know what? The robot would be a good process. We'll get to that. But I found this article from the Draft Network, and essentially it asked that question, what is fair compensation from the Jets for Aaron Rodgers? I'll be honest, I didn't really care to read any of this because I don't really care. So I just uh, did the old control F and typed in round to find the part where they got to what round picks make uh, the most sense. Surprisingly, a lot of words have round in it. Uh, like rounders and surrounding. But anyways, it's uh, as you would expect in the final paragraph, which says, and this was written by um, Justin Mello over at the Draft Network, by the way, the Jets are appeasing Rodgers' supposed wishes. They should show gumption by refusing to give the Green Bay Packers first-round requests. The Jets' newly acquired pair of second-round picks qualifies as fair compensation for an aging Aaron Rodgers. And I'll be totally honest, 100%. I want 13, don't get me wrong. But if somebody's willing to give us two relatively early second round picks, which would give us like, what, three picks in the second round within five picks of each other or something like that, for Rodgers, who currently has us in a freaking noose with his contract, like the guy that gave Rodgers the contract that's going to explode in our face has an opportunity to get out of that contract, which is a not get outable type contract. Because the player that you gave it to is willing to get out of it for you. And there is a team willing to take that ridiculous contract 
and that quarterback who is aging and only really wants to play one more year, maybe we'll see, and doesn't really feel like playing football in general, but now he kind of feels like he wants to, so he's coming back. And they're going to give you two second-round picks for that? Dude, I mean, listen, play hardball for like 45 minutes. Like, dude, that's unacceptable. You know, first-round pick, or I don't want to hear about it. No, we're doing two seconds. And a player, right? Well... I mean, maybe, I don't know. No, no, two seconds. Fine, fine, deal, done. <laughs> Sucker. Dude, they're suckers, okay? And I'm, I'm glad that you feel like you can punk them for a first-round pick and maybe some more, and that's awesome. And if you really think you can, I mean, I guess go for it. I, I hate to, to back you down, but, dude, if they're offering two second-round picks, if they're, if they're offering two second-round picks, like, and that's it, just take it. If they're offering that and then some, like, I'm not giving you a first and some more, but I'll give you two seconds and a player, like a, an actual decent player. <laughs> what, what is there to think about? Especially considering Gutekunst and the Packers in general track record in the second round. I would probably trust us in the second round more than the first round. We get three of them at picks like, what, 7, 8, and 11 or something ridiculous in the second round? And, of course, you could trade back into the first if you want to. You can trade a third, I think, to get... You can take one of those seconds, package it with a third, get to the back of the first round, and what does that do? That gives us two first-round picks and two second-round picks? I hate to argue with the draft or the draft network on this one, because um, I would be fine with that. But, again, Goot, if you got a, if you got a read on this situation and you're sure that you can squeeze that pick 13 or a first next year or something... I mean, you know, do what you got to do, brother, but don't mess this up, okay? Because two seconds would be sweet. And not dealing with the drama that would happen if Rodgers decided he wanted to come back and put some pressure on the team or whatever he decides to do with his life, which I'm assuming would be retired, but I don't really know. Who knows? Let's just not play that game. You know what I mean? Let's not play that game. Let's get out of this. Um, in addition, some other news, Adrian Amos is meeting with the Baltimore Ravens. Does not mean a deal is going to get done. Uh, it just means that they're dealing with him. And, and, and honestly, what I think this is, is sort of the first step in him potentially coming back. I'm not necessarily predicting that. I'm just saying the way that this works is the Packers say, we'd like you back. Here's the number. Amos says, that's insulting. I'm worth more than that. Packers say, all due respect, I don't think you are worth more than that. This is actually a pretty solid offer. And so then he says, well, then I'm going to go look elsewhere. Well, as a part of that, he goes and visits other teams, he does workouts, and then he gets offers. If he gets offers, maybe the Ravens won't even make him an offer. They may look at him and, and look at all these things and just say, you know what? What we would offer you is not worth offering you. I'm not going to throw a mil one-year million-dollar contract at you. I'm not going to insult you that way, so I'm just not going to bother. At which point, Adrian Amos' best option is to come back to the Packers for whatever they were offering. Now, that may not happen, but again, just saying we don't necessarily need to be um, dismayed at the fact that he's venturing out and that seems like he's not coming back. I mean, he, he probably isn't, but the Packers are expecting him to get a dose of reality while he's out there. And we'll see what the, what the tally comes in. I mean, he'll, he'll get whatever offers he gets and he'll have to weigh his options. In somewhat smaller news, the uh, Packers did end up re-signing Justin Holland. I'm guessing that was somewhat of a similar process. Holland was kind of going out, gauging the market, and uh, ultimately the Packers ended up having an appealing enough offer to bring him back. So some more pass rush depth for, uh, for the Packers. 
Anyways, before we, uh, on the on the other side of the break, I want to start looking at, as I said, some of the draft stuff. Um, Bob McGinn dropped an article that is um, pretty pretty big. I remember it from last year where he goes through and kind of gives his insights on, not just his insights, but talking to different scouts and what they thought. So um, I want to try to leave an appropriate amount of time to be able to try to get through that. But I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Love. Um, Cameron Wolf, who uh, works over at NFL, the only thing I know him from is the guy that talks to Jordan Love's coach, so I'm extremely appreciative <laughs> that he exists because uh, he keeps cranking out these videos. But this is from a few days ago. But um, first question to Steve Calhoun, quarterback coach and mentor for Jordan Love, is just kind of how are things going with all the workouts out there in Cali? It appears to be love season in Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, our conversations uh, never really changed from from year one to you know him just finishing year three. You know, we just talk about the stuff he needs to do to prepare to be the best quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, whether his number's called or he has to be, you know, sit behind another, you know, sit behind Aaron for another year or possibly. But, you know, definitely, I mean, it's not like he says, oh, my God, you know, I might have the opportunity to be the guy now. So now my focus is going to go up. Or I'm about to start working out harder. It's just always the same. You know, we're preparing every day to become the best Jordan Love that he could possibly be and work on his fundamentals and his, and his throwing mechanics and 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 really understand the playbook as well as, you know, Coach LaFleur. And Steve, we see some of these workouts with Jordan right here. Um, you know, I know you've been working out with him for the last two weeks in Orange County. Can you give us insight on what you want to see with Jordan in some of these workouts? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, just him to continue to develop as a passer. Um, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm coaching every small detail from where his foot, his left foot plants and where his, you know, his his arm is coming through on the slot. You know, just coaching all those details and see if he can make the correction without me saying it. And the the great thing about a lot of it, well, a couple things that come to mind. Number one, a lot of these corrections are Green Bay specific, right? Matt Lafleur has a very specific way that he wants things to happen. Some of these are like every quarterback needs to be able to do these things but the other thing i really love as you watch this video and you see some of the clips of him playing the i can't think of a better way to put it but the tightness of his throws as compared to how he was in uh in college i felt like he was a little bit more loose and and you know the 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 way that the long wind-up delivery and all that stuff even though he did some miraculous stuff you watch him and it's like that's not what I would expect from a guy. You know, you, you watch Aaron Rodgers for so many years and he's perfected how to throw a football. Even though his throws are amazing, just the the delivery, the motion, all that stuff seemed awkward to me. But now you watch him and it's just the timing, just the tight, you know, the arm tight to the body and just boom, the ball just comes out and, you know, the, the velocity on the ball seems to be much better than it was in college and everything else. So it's just cool to be able to watch this and see that it's not just that he's grown as a quarterback. He's grown into being a Green Bay Packers quarterback. Because I, I won't, you know, I won't be in Green Bay with him. So just by the way the ball comes out or the, the, the flight of the ball is, he'll understand exactly what he needs to do to make those adjustments to be a, a, a really accurate passer. So it's just those details. Absolutely. And you mm -hmm. mentioned the left foot kind of thing that you're working on with him with that. I know we've talked and you mentioned Matt LaFleur has given Jordan notes over the last two years. Can you give us insight on maybe how Matt LaFleur's tips for Jordan play into how you train him in the offseason? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's that's it's coming from the head coach. So if he thinks if, if Coach LaFord thinks it's important, of course, you know, as he passes the information on to Jordan and Jordan passes it on to me, I mean, that's gonna uh take that's going to be the top of my workout because I have a scheduled workout of what I want to do with Jordan, you know, every time we get together. But, you know, what Coach LaFour is asking Jordan to do, that definitely goes to the top. You know, so just talking about, you know, how he wants his uh, left foot to be flat on the ground as he's coming through, you know, throwing the football because that would create more balance and balance creates more accuracy. So, you know, it's just little tips like that. You know, that Coastal Floor is giving Jordan and he's passing along to me. Um, and I definitely prioritize him and put him at the top of the list of Jordan's workouts. You know, the other thing that's that's occurring to me, I remember several years ago, Aaron Rodgers talking about there's always one thing that he tries to really hone in on, like that one thing that he can do to improve. And he works on it and drills it and drills it and drills it to try to, you know, add that fully to his repertoire. Um you know, with Jordan Love, you got to remember, because everybody's going to be watching this season and saying, that, you know, if he doesn't ball out, he's a bum. And, um, you know, just as much as we've been saying we need to make assessments and kind of reevaluate things, I think it's the same with Jordan, you know, in terms of let's see what he does in a game, and then we can continue to make corrections, not just he needs a wide receiver or we need better defensive help or he needs a tight end or whatever the case is. Um, but in terms of, you know, taking that... I know we're talking year three to four as opposed to one to two, but really in terms of playing, going from year one to year two to really be able to get a full breakdown of how he looks in games and for Matt LaFleur and for um, uh, Steve Calhoun and the quarterback coach and everybody else that's that's the offensive coordinator to be able to really see what he's doing and say, this is really what you need to work on in the offseason. Because it's, it's, it's hard to know what the deficiencies are that need to be fixed. And even, you know, from year two to year three, year three to year four, year four to year five, you know, you try to get the big stuff done, and hopefully a lot of that big stuff is done. But then every year it's, here's the thing that I want you to really drill and get into your head so that next time you have that, you are that, you embody that, and you're just going to be a better quarterback for it. So this is year one, and it's good to hear as far as like the notes, like the big thing I want is left foot planted flat. You know, when you think about the complexity of what it means to be a quarterback at that level. And you watch again that that uh, year one training camp where you see you know Aaron Rodgers next to Jordan Love and they're doing their drills and Jordan Love just cannot keep up with them. I mean the complexity of like the drop and and the all the different angles and the every every single little detail just to get down the basics. You know he's got all of that stuff. So now it's tweaks. Now it's try to keep your heel down. Try to do this. Try to do that. Minor things that can you know increase the quality of play. And Steve, there's a lot of Packers fans who are excited about the opportunity to see Jordan Love. I know some of the clips we showed show him throwing to Romeo Dubes. Can you give us insight? <laughs> I know you're working out with him today. Maybe what today's workout would look like. I don't know if I've ever heard Dubes before. That's a different one. Like for Jordan Love, for Packers fans wanting to know. Yeah, well, you know, with Romeo, you know, I've I've actually been training since college. So, you know, he's very familiar with myself and my program and also with Jordan. Um you know, I mean, we're just really kind of just starting at the basics, you know, especially with Romeo, you know, he's not in the full running. He's really just been hitting hard in the weight room, getting his body prepared for the NFL. But yeah, we just want to work at the top of the route, you know, whether it's some out routes like you see right there or some curls or some dig routes. You know, we just want to work at the top and just kind of build our way up to running a full route and just start to get into their route tree and their playbook. So I'm sure there's going to be uh, more guys coming out here to California, you know, Christian Watkins and uh, 
Also, Aaron Jones, I know that uh, Jordan had mentioned to me that they're planning on coming out just to start to get that timing, you know, but, but you know, with these clips you see here, you just want to start to build up. We don't want to go, you know, from zero to 100. We just want to start, you know, real slow, you know, work the top of the routes, um, get, you know, get Jordan's footwork to time up with, with Romeo's uh, top of the route deal, and then we'll start to put it all together. And this is the other really important thing that, that I haven't really emphasized, you know, my, my whole thing is just get a couple friends together, go out to the beach, throw the ball around, not the beach. Obviously, the sand would kind of mess all that up. But you, you get the idea. Like, it doesn't need to be anything serious. But this isn't just the guys getting together having fun. This is going with this organization, with coaches on a football field. They've got the playbook. They've got a, a, a routine down in terms of how we can break down the playbook and how we can best optimize things. And it's also things like, you know, he's got Romeo Dobbs hitting the weight room to try to put on some muscle. And, um, I mean, this, this is a intense thing. So, again, going back to the conversation about whether or not this is actually helpful, yeah, massively. Basically, for, um, for Jordan Love, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, and Aaron Jones, training camp started. And it's an intense training camp because it's not you and like a hundred other guys. I mean, I'm sure there's other guys there that are working, but this is much more intense. This is much more specific to you and to make sure you are, you know, doing what you need to do. And so by the time they get to training camp, they've been doing this stuff for a long time. And I don't know how long, you know, if they're out there for a week or a month or what, but I love it. And I love that they're working together all with the same coaches. And this is the thing. They're not allowed to do this with our coaches. But if you can go find a staff that works as a essentially a uh, off-season coaching staff who aren't the Packers because that would be against the rules, but you get Matt LaFleur and those guys to send over some information to these coaches and say, here are some key points that I need these guys working on. Here's our entire playbook that you can work through. Please make sure they understand X, Y, and Z. Here's some, you know, whatever. These guys get an entire f- season, if they want it, of training camp while other guys are on vacation i mean that's that's unbelievable so i'm i'm beyond stoked that um not only are these guys getting together but they're going to a facility together to have a coaching staff working specifically through the green bay packers playbook with designed plans and 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 it's all-encompassing holistic approach with body training and and route training and every you know timing everything that's that's incredible. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? Thanks again to Luke, Joyce, and Brad for jumping in on the uh, for the support for March. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you want to support the podcast. Also, please remember to check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find them at fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so there's plenty of uh, stuff to get through. This is just kind of a nice little place to start, I suppose. But the uh, it's, a, it's a very big article. Bob McGinn is uh, very, very well-known, very, very well-connected, especially, well, it used to be especially with the Green Bay Packers. Now I would say it's especially with the NFL draft. Um, he always does extremely well in terms of his predictions of who goes where and everything else, and I think that just has to do with him being very well-connected. But um, subtitle here says, Bob McGinn again brings his exceptional draft coverage to go long. First up, the top 55. Don't miss what scouts say about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, the best of the best on offense. So there's 55 guys broke down into um, two parts. And so not all of these guys will necessarily um, be premier prospects for us, but it's still good to kind of get an idea of what people are saying, especially when you're talking about what scouts are saying about prospects, especially top prospects. So even the quarterbacks, it's good to know who goes where, whether that be for your own personal mock draft or just to kind of get an idea of who's going to end up with the Green Bay Packers. You know what I mean? But let's start off with a guy that we've all kind of seemed to have forgotten about. Uh, there's a lot of talk about a lot of players that could possibly go to the Packers. Jackson Smith and Jigba obviously is... is um, front and center, but we're talking about tight ends. We talk about offensive tackles. The one guy that at one point was never going to make it to the Packers uh, now seems to be potentially like he'd be there, but I forgot about him. Nobody's called in about him. Nobody talks about him, and that's Quentin Johnston. Uh, TCU wide receiver, 6'3", 208. But let's go through it. This is not a good group this year, said one scout. After Johnson, it drops off. Most years, there's an abundance of them. Uh, where are these guys? Johnson is big, fast, strong, acrobatic, makes some spectacular catches. He's up there by himself, and then it drops off. So this is kind of interesting. And again, there's there's doing this last year, I remember one of the things that would happen is, I don't know if he's going to organize it the same way, you start off with the positive, and then you end up with guys that are like, this guy is the biggest hunk of garbage I've ever seen in my life. But it is interesting because it seems as though Jackson Smith and Jigba has surpassed Quentin Johnston by most people's account. I mean, when you look at what he did at the, the Combine and everything else. But again, it is interesting because everybody forgot about Johnston, and he was for a long time the guy. 
And according to apparently at least one scout, he's still the guy and he's the only the guy. I'm just going to skip some of this stuff and get to what the, the scouts say, but it says, I don't know if he's top 10, but maybe, said one scout. Unless he's done something horrible between now and then, he's kind of head and shoulders above the rest of these guys. This is the second scout, by the way. Really good feet for a big guy. He's got run after the catch. Ball skills are a little inconsistent. He'll let it into his chest. Doesn't always catch it in the air. Um, my comparison was T. Higgins, which is freaking hilarious. Packer fans, you want redemption? There he is, T. Higgins. That was from the third scout. For a long, tall receiver, he has little man's movement skills. That really impressed me. That's a good thing. Little guys are usually more shifty. He has some drops, but he should... uh... Oh, he had some drops he shouldn't have, but he's still my top receiver. He can run now, a fourth scout said. He can run straight across the field on over routes. That's where most of his big plays happen, when he can run straight line routes. But being able to get in and out of breaks and separate, he really struggles all of that. He's stiff, which is completely in the face of the other scout. And for a big guy, he doesn't have good hands, but everybody else is little. He's the one guy with size. He'll go first round. Well, freaking duh. Next up, he talks about wide receiver Josh Downs, 5'9", 191. For the record, these are important guys to talk about. I know everybody's like, just skip it and go to Jackson Smith and Jigba or whatever. Josh Downs is projected to go around 42. If the Packers end up with three picks in that range, you're talking the Jalen Hyatts, the Josh Downs, like these are the guys you're kind of talking about. At least as of right now, we'll see where they all end up. Here's what he has to say, what the scouts have to say. Um, you talk about a dynamic athlete that can run and has excellent feet, one scout said. Good luck covering that guy in short area. Not the biggest guy, but plays bigger than he is. He'll be a good slot receiver. So wherever you value that guy, clean character, he's got to put up good enough testing numbers at his size, but I think he will. At uh, This is so prior to... Uh, the combine. It says that Indy Downs helped himself with a 4-4-8-40, 38.5-inch vert, and 10-11 broad jump. It says they used him a lot on hitches and curls, said the second scout. Excellent speed and quickness, good hands. I'm not sure how explosive he is. A lot of short routes there. One of the top punt returners in the draft. Good little player, but just no explosiveness at all, said a third scout. They schemed the heck out of him there. Little gadget stuff to do to get him open. He runs a little herky-jerky, little route stuff. He's not a crisp route runner. He does his own thing, gets uh, kind of to get open, which doesn't really transfer well up here. So again, big split. Depending on who you're listening to, Josh Downs sounds like a perfect, like, if you don't get Jackson Smith and Jigba, this is your guy. Right? He's a slot guy, but I mean, basically, this is Randall Cobb. 5'9", 191, shifty slot guy, great punt returner. But then other guys are looking at him saying he's a tiny guy who gets schemed open and is not a good route runner. Well, who the heck wants that? But again, considering he's sort of a mid-second round prospect, I don't know how much the Packers would value a, a strict slot receiver, but again, given the situation that they're in, if you're will, if you, I mean, if you really like him as a slot receiver, you got Dobbs, you got Watson, seems to fit. Then we got the other forgotten wide receiver, Jordan Addison, another guy that's right in range of where the Packers will be picking in the first round, and nobody wants to talk about it anymore. 5'11", 173. He's my number one whiteout, said one scout. So obviously he's talking to a ton of scouts. Because pretty much all four of the guys that talked about Quentin Johnson said he was the top guy. He's my number one whiteout, said one scout. He's little, but he's electric, has confidence, explosive routes, natural feel. He can cut, he can catch. I don't think he has that top-end speed that really scares you, but he's slick, good playmaker. Normally, you want this guy at the bottom of the first. I just love to watch him, but that's always scary for those little dudes if you can't blow the top off and scare guys. So it is also interesting because, again, there, there's certainly a theme that nobody has really refuted here um, that we've heard, and that is that this is a weak class. So this is a guy right now saying he's my number one wideout, but in the exact same sentence, 
or paragraph, says he's the kind of guy that you generally want at the bottom of the first. So you generally want to take him in the 20s. So he doesn't really like any of the wide receivers. He's a little bit lean for the outside, as second scout said. Not super strong. Great athlete with great ball skills. Doesn't have elite speed for a guy his size, but he's got good functional speed, really knows how to run routes. I thought USC had one or two receivers that were actually better than him, said a third scout. He's quicker than fast, strictly a slot. I don't see explosion. It really is funny, too, because it's like, it's so hard to tell who your team is going to pick, because look at how different this is. You have one, three different scouts. One said he's my number one guy. The other one said, basically, just not very good. He was the third best guy at USC. He's more quick than he is fast. He's strictly a slot guy, small guy, no explosion, not for me. Zay Flowers, dynamic speed, explosive after the catch, good ball skills, one scout said. Doesn't play big, more of an outside guy because he's flat out fast. Loves football, but he's a guy you have to keep there like year round. His family's a drain on him. He doesn't always do what he's supposed to do. Apparently he has 13 siblings. So it sounds like he goes back home and he kind of gets doing some stuff that football teams don't really want him to do. I don't know. Got to kind of read between the lines on your own on that one. I liked him more than Addison, said one scout. I think he's a 4-4 guy. Only thing about him is size. He clocked a 4-4-2 at the combine. He's a good little player, but there's just nothing special to him, said a third scout. If you're that small, you better be explosive. He's a little possession guy with without any magic. In 2022, he scored a 13 on the Wonderlick test, which that's another thing I remember is... Uh, <laughs> Bob McGinn loves talking about the wonder lick and everybody gets so mad about it. And that does seem to be a theme with this wide receiver class, by the way, is a lot of them are very small. And all the scouts are basically saying, if you're going to be small, you better be really fast or really something. And none of them are. I mean, I mean, some scouts would say, yeah, I, he checks those boxes for me. But for the most part, it seems like a lot of them are saying, you know, he's he's got some stuff going for him, but at his size, it's just, it's not going to cut it. Anyways, then we get to Jackson Smith and Jigba. He didn't play this year, said one scout. Biggest question on him is speed. He's really good route runner, makes a lot of catches inside and across the middle. Very smart and savvy. He can get deep because of his route running ability, whether it's a double move or a little shake. I just don't know how fast he is at the combine. Um, said uh, the hamstring was 100%, but put off running the 40 until his pro day. Doesn't say it here, but he did fine. He's a good slot possession receiver, said a second scout. Not ultra quick or ultra fast. He's 4-5-ish, which is pretty close. I think he was 448, right? Pretty sure. So he's he's pretty much right on. Basically go you go on one game, said a third scout. He played the slot and was the number 3 option last year. He was the guy that ran the short routes. Utah didn't have an, uh, a very good defense. He was sensational. I estimated 45 40 time, I guess. And then finally, the 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 fourth scout, always the hammer. The heck was that noise? He's one of the most overrated guys in this draft said a fourth scout. He's a good football player, but he can't run. He's not really elusive with the ball in his hands. He can find holes in zones, and he's tough. Has to be a slot. Not fast enough to play outside. It, it's just... My, my favorite part about whenever he does this is the fact that it just completely breaks down the idea that things just are. You know? Like, you, you, you go into these NFL draft uh, communities or whatever. Um go to my NFL Draft Facebook group, which is uh, the largest draft Facebook group in the world that I keep forgetting exists. But it's great. You should check it out. But go in there and tell them anything about anything, and you will have people that lose their mind. Everybody knows, you freaking idiot. If anybody went into that group 
and said Jackson Smith and Jigba is the most overrated guy in this draft. Not elusive. Not a da 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 da. People would lose their mind and say you're a freaking idiot. Not realizing that person that said that is an NFL scout. There's just no consensus on anything, even relatively seemingly simple things. Then, for some reason, we jump all the way down to Jonathan Mingo. We didn't talk about Hyatt or Tyler Scott, Rasheed Rice, any of these guys. We talk about Jonathan Mingo, who is um, kind of a weird thing, because I, I, I guess it just depends who you ask. But currently on the NFL uh, consensus big board, he's at 166. But if you're interested, here's what they had to say. He's strong and tough with the ball in his hands, had wow catches. He's not a number one, but he's probably a really good number two. He can play outside and in the slot. Be really good if you get him in the second round. So again, there you go. Which is, which is funny because, again, you go to the consensus thing and it's like, why would Jonathan Mingo even be in here? But I promise you, this is him saying these are the top guys. Top 55. He doesn't have Hyatt in the top 55. Jonathan Mingo is. So if you haven't checked him out yet, like I haven't, probably be a good idea. Because there are some guys talking about second round. Solid number two. Boundary and slot guy. Six foot, six foot one and a half, 220, by the way. Ran a four four six forty. I mean, I don't, again, I haven't watched him, but he's screaming Packer to me so far. Versatile. Anyways, continues to say, good run after the catch player with strength, contact balance, and vision to create extra, said a second scout. Solid blocker. Oh, geez. Just, can we just write this in ink? Flashes nasty to finish. Inconsistent hands, which, again, Christian Watson did too. Didn't seem to matter. Flash's ability to make acrobatic catches, but too often drop the easy ones. That just sounds too perfect. Uh, let's see. Route's not impressive, a third scout said. He uh, had some crucial drops, has size and toughness. Wonderlick 20, if you were wondering. Anyways, moving on to the tight ends, we've got five, which is awesome because you got five inside the top 55. That's pretty impressive. He has Dalton Kincaid at the top. Said, this guy had to become the primary guy... They're talking about how Kincaid took over when a guy got injured, but this guy had to become their primary guy and ended up catching 70 passes, one scout said. He's an H-back. There you go. Watch out, Guara. Oh, boy. Goot does he? I mean, you know, he wants that. I'm just saying. He runs short and intermediate routes, like Michael Mayer. He's a good athlete, catches the ball well. He had a huge game against USC in his first game, not the Pac-12 championship game. Um... That game really put him on the map, another scout said. He's not a blocker, although he gives some effort, but really a good receiver. Athletic mismatch guy, going to run well, didn't test at the combine. Love this guy, said a third scout. He can do it all, a natural, uh, a natural, natural receiver. I don't want to throw Kelsey around, but the routes, the hands, the feel, the separation, dude, you got to calm down here. Come on. You're going to give me a freaking heart attack talking about this guy's Travis Kelsey. What are you doing to me? I'm trying to read and not have heart palpitations at the same time. I can't breathe. I'm running out of air. Got me gasping for air over here. All right. Let me read that again because it gets me happy on the inside. I don't want to throw Kelsey around, but the routes, the hands, the feel, the separation, he's an awesome receiver and a good blocker. He puts his face in there. He's sticky enough. Whatever the money down is, he's getting the ball. What the heck does that mean? Oh, the money down. Not, not not money down as in like down payment. The money down. Fair enough. I don't think he's top 10, said a fourth scout. Pfft, if that's as bad as this gets. Oh my, this is, the, this is the angry scout. He's not top 10. I don't think he's top 10, said a fourth scout. He's definitely got a chance to go in the first. He's a mismatch nightmare. Not powerful as a blocker, but his effort is real good. 
He'll try. He's just not strong. How many Pro Bowls and Hall of Fame tight ends are blockers? Especially not in this day and age. Wonderlick, 28. That's pretty good, man. I don't know, man. I might just need to come back around to this Dalton Kincaid thing. Smart player. I mean, he kind of... I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, Michael Mayer. Two scouts said he was a better prospect than Cole Komet. I would freaking hope so. Quote, he's a better athlete and better, more consistent blocker, said one scout. I like Komet, but this guy's a much better player. He has a high floor. He won't fail. He's probably the best tight end, said the second scout. He's the most complete, good route runner, functional blocker, very good hands, very good in contested situations, has good enough speed. I don't think he's a vertical threat down the seam. I don't know if he'll be a pro bowler, but solid across the board. He ended up clocking a 4-7, which is obviously terrible, which is why he went from being like the top guy to being like, mm, I don't know. Which I think I, again, I've, I've kind of, well, I've been embroiled in the Aaron Rodgers thing. I feel like, dude, I've been forgetting about it. Yeah, I've been forgetting about the draft. But I, I, I don't want to downplay Michael Mayer too much because of that 4-7. Again, when I went back and looked at PFF and guys that had his grade or higher, they're basically all fantastic. There were like four of them over the last like four, five, six, seven years or something. And all of that, like Kittle, um, the heck is that Ravens guy? What is his name? Oh, uh, I had it. I had it right there. Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, Michael Mayer, and then that guy that's in Georgia right now. That's it. So definitely don't want to just write him off because that is some really elite company. And you factor in like he is, I don't know. I don't know. The 4-7 is scary, but at the same time, who really cares? Like, if he ran a 4-6, what does that mean? It means he's faster. Is he faster than linebackers? No. Corners? Safeties? He's not faster than any... At 4-6, you're faster than nobody on that defense. This day and age, the edge rushers are running 4-5s and 4-4s. <laughs> you could put an edge rusher on a tight end that runs a 4-6. So, I don't want to downplay it too much, but at the same time, we're not talking about a tight end that's running a 4-5-5 or a 4-6 that's just sailing past everybody. So... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not all the way out. He's a little disappointing, but whatever. Everything he does is average, a third scout said. He's kind of lumbering when he moves around. The blocking is average. Eh, that's a little harsh. Lumbering is true, but I think pretty much every bigger tight end looks lumbering to me. Darnell Washington is kind of lumbering. Everybody except Kincaid, but you know. As a receiver, he's a zone guy. He's not going to beat man or be a playmaker. Cole Komet, just put in a mix of those dudes, same jersey number, and stick him on the team. I think that meant he's Cole Komet. I'm not sure. Luke Musgrave, 6'6", 253, says he suffered a season-ending knee injury after catching 11 passes and 169 yards in the first two games. He returned to play in the Senior Bowl. Quote, in those first two games, I was shocked, one scout said. I had never heard much about the guy. He was a second-best blocker behind Mayer. Him and Kincaid would be pretty good race, a second scout said. He has vertical push. His ball skills can look very good. Uh, they can also look like he's never caught a football. Yikes. Hand placement, catch fundamentals are very inconsistent. He's not gifted as a route runner, and he's very out of control. Not a very good blocker, but he is fast. He has not played a ton of football, so there's definitely upside. In other words, you kind of work out all the kinks, and you could end up with a real superstar here. But we're talking project. He's the same level of talent as uh, Luke Schoonmaker, but Schoonmaker is much safer. Same value of player. He doesn't have much body of work at all, the third scout said. Usually I kind of write those guys off. He's super talented, just a loose natural athlete. The blocking is terrible. He's not going to be a blocker. You've got to live with that. Wonderlick of a 30. Getting, getting smarter as we go here. Then we got big Darnell Washington. 6'6 six, six and a half, 264. This should be interesting. Five-star recruit played more effectively each of his three seasons. Quote, 
It all depends how he works out, said one scout. He showed some pretty unique stuff on tape. He has some unique movement and run after skills for a big guy. Most wise don't do what he does. His football character is also questionable. He has some immature life skills. He's a five-star kind of guy that's kind of been pampered his whole life. He's going to be an adjustment. He made the biggest jump from last fall to this fall of any player I saw, a second scout said. He's developed his hands. In certain packages, he'll start as a rookie. I think he's going to play for a long time. Now, he's not that quick-cut receiver. He's too big for that. He's just a hell of a target, and he moves in a, uh, smart enough. He just walls people off. Described by a third scout as more of an athletic, as a more athletic Mercedes Lewis when he entered the draft in 2006. Stiff in the lower body, so that limits everything he can do as far as receiving and blocking, a fourth scout said. I thought about maybe moving the guy to tackle, but he isn't that good of a blocker. He'll be limited as a blocker just because of his flexibility limitations. He is not athletic at all. He is kind of a freight train. Like, if, if he can square up and hit you, he'll freaking kill you. But, yeah, if, if you move a little bit, you might miss. But that's every... I mean, have you ever seen an offensive lineman try to block in space? It's a disaster nine times out of ten. Luke Schoonmaker. The whole thing is, he can... Uh, can he run? I don't think he can. I thought he was a four eight five. He got hurt toward the end, and another guy uh, came in and played, and there was no comparison. He's a guy you want on your team, but I didn't see anything special in him. Ran a surprisingly fast 4-6-3 at the Combine. So this is a guy that might shoot up the boards, because if everyone's looking at him saying, look, he, he looks like a great player, but he looks slow, and you're expecting 4-8-5, he runs 4-6-3, that's, that's a heck of a thing right there. Also had the second best broad jump, jump among tight ends, and had a respectable vert. He could creep up, a second scout said. Maybe top 50. That might be a little rich, but he's pretty good. He's not special, but he's an above uh, He's above average in terms of speed, feet, athletic ability. Pretty good blocker. He's a lesser version of Mayer. He's a safe pick. Long build to speed strider with good speed to threaten vertically, a third scout said. Physical through press and tight coverage. Flashes some savvy as a route runner. Adequate separation quickness. More of a steady, sure-handed possession option. Ideal physical skill set with toughness and instincts. So these are, as they have it, the top five tight ends. I think for the sake of time, we're going to kind of skip around a little bit and just talk about some of the more well-known prospects. We can always double back, but we're kind of buttoning up against time here a little bit. Moving to the offensive line, there's nine of them. We'll see how much we get to. Broderick Jones, guy I definitely like. Debatably, he's the top guy, one scout said. They've had a lot of guys, so he hasn't played a ton. Uh, his mistakes are all real correctable, just inconsistent with his body positioning and his hands, uh, his hand use and angles to attack in space. He's an easy mover, light on his feet. He's physical. He's strong. He shows he can be mean. Uh, he's long, which helps him sustain blocks. He can kind of do everything. You're taking a little bit of a risk on the kid. He's got some immaturity to him. Uh, like a lot of, I was just going to say Georgia seems to be a real big issue with that. Like a lot of these Georgia guys, a lot of talent, uh, but maybe not the greatest football character, which is funny because the Packers are obsessed with Georgia guys. And for a team that's obsessed with character, it's kind of interesting. And, and interestingly enough, Quay Walker beating the crap out of coaches and athletic staff, <laughs> you know, as an aside, I do wonder if maybe they saw that and were like, maybe we should kind of dial it back a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, we've been kind of pushing the envelope. We don't need more of that. I don't know. Got a lot of technical stuff to clean up, and he doesn't finish plays, but he's a real good foot athlete, a second scout said. 
He's got a ways to go, but there aren't any of them. He's got a ways to go, but there aren't any of them. Oh, tackles, I guess he means. So I guess just do it. I don't know. He'll go late first, probably, just still raw and green. When guys edge rush him, he got a little bit top-heavy. Um, third scout said, low hand carry that can be coached. He can really pull and move and block in space. Needs to play stronger, improve his hand use. Guard might be his best position. I really don't care for him, but the more I watched him, uh, he is a big-time athlete. So it sounds like with Broderick Jones, you're looking at sort of that, I don't want to say Christian Watson because he was a small school guy, but just as an example, like if he reaches his ceiling, he's a freak of nature. But there are concerns. Maybe Devontae Wyatt actually would be a much better comparison. Freakish tools, but can we harness it? And also maybe some character stuff. Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. No one could move that guy, said one scout. Hard to get around, even th- even though he might not have ideal foot quickness. His length is incredible. For as big as he is, he didn't look fat at the Senior Bowl. That one day was impressive. He's a better athlete than or- Orlando Brown, a second scout said. Isn't that a, is that a joke? I guess not. You can see the basketball player in him. He's the uh, best one of the whole bunch of offensive linemen, according to this scout. Whether he becomes the best, I can't say for sure. He's got weight problems. He's lazy, kind of just getting by. Can you imagine how good this guy would be if uh, if he had amazing makeup? These guys talk in shorthand, and I swear he just leaves it go. He is gigantic, a third scout said. Just because he's so damn big and his arms are so long, that's how he wins. He gets in the way and is productive. Zach Banner was so big and had those limitations too, and he just kind of bounced around. He doesn't move very well. He does stay on his feet for the most part, but uh, reaching guys, adjusting space, slide, all that, he just struggles to do that. Wonderlick of 11. Uh, We're going to skip Anton Harrison because he's not a big name that's getting thrown around. However, Peter Skaronsky, tackle guard center out of Northwestern, 6'4", 313. We don't think he's Rashawn Slater, who is an undersized left tackle, but a freak show athlete, one scout said. This kid's a good player, but he's not at that level. He can also play center because he's real smart. I thought he'd be a better center than guard. Lack of length shows up at tackle. He's not a power guy. He's more of a finesse athletic technician. Uh, He's not soft, but he's just not a nasty guy. He's not a nasty guy? That was not my recollection. He's the best offensive lineman, another scout said. Dominant run and pass blocker in 2021. He did an excellent job against Aiden Hutchinson and the guy from Purdue, George Karloftis. That sold me on him more than anything this year. He can play guard without any problem. Strong lower body. Gets to the second level. This guy's nasty. See what I'm saying? I don't write that very often, but he gets people on the ground. I swear these guys are, it's like they're just guessing. I think they're just using AI and they're like, write me a scouting report on a player. That is a tackle. He's a physical run blocker, and he can move uh, his feet in pass protection, a third scout said. He was right up there with Slater in movement skills. Bakhtiari got dinged a little bit for his arm length. Skaronsky is the top offensive lineman. It's funny, Bakhtiari is sort of the go-to example of don't get too hung up on arm length. Paris Johnson, another potential guy at Ohio State. He got better through the year. He can be physical in the run game, and he's athletic. Needs some technique work. I don't know if he's top 10, but he's in that 10 to 20 range. Interestingly enough, there's just too many teams that need left tackles. Third year junior started at right guard. He is so up and down, said a second scout. It's all there, but there's uh, no consistency. Needs to play stronger and more physical. Uh, He pushes soft hands. If you can get through to him, he certainly has the size, and I thought he had long arms. I don't see it with this guy, a third scout said. Decent athlete, nothing special. He's inconsistent. Technique is off. 
falls off a lot of stuff, just real hit and miss, just a work in progress. Unlike Broderick Jones, who has tons of natural athletic ability, I say this dude is just average sort of talent. He's not real tough. He's not impressive. I thought the kid last year, Nicholas Petit Frere, was better. That's a heck of a shot in the gut. A fourth scout said, he's not powerful. I don't see left tackle feet. Not going to go too much into the quarterbacks, but I'll provide some cliff notes. One of my favorite things, looking at Bryce Young first, the very first um, scout is just in love with Bryce Young and said, obviously, again, this stuff accumulated weeks ago, but he said, if I'm the Bears, I'm taking Bryce Young. Said he's unbelievably intelligent, all that stuff. Big thing that a couple of these guys are brought up about Bryce Young also that I obviously haven't dug into because I just watched like a game, but it was one of the things I really liked about Deshaun Watson is that he was a winner. You know, when the game's on the line, he's the guy that comes out on top. And that's what they're saying about Bryce. Said really smart plays, competitor, when the game's on the line, they make plays. Yeah, all the scouts love him. Nobody seemed to be bothered by the size whatsoever. I think that's important because that's the only thing that's really going to ding the guy. And if nobody's really seemingly upset about it, um, not even the most angry scout that he could find, I think that's uh, an important thing. One of the scouts even went so far as to say injuries don't matter. Everybody gets injured. Josh Allen's a giant. He gets injured all the time, (laughs) which I thought was a fair enough. Uh, First scout for C.J. Stroud said he reminds me of Pat Mahomes. But he did say this is the first time I've ever compared anybody to Pat Mahomes. So that is pretty pretty interesting. Same size, same speed, uh, a little bit faster, he said. <laughs> he says, if I was Chicago, I'd trade fields and take this guy. <laughs> so all this, the first scout's like, you should take Bryce Young. Then another scout's like, dude, I would get C.J. Stroud for sure. Interestingly enough, the second scout, <laughs> I love, they all hate fields. <laughs> He actually compared him to Justin Fields and said he's a better athlete than he is a quarterback. He's not a good enough passer to last. Third scout compared him to Dwayne Haskins. So there's a lot more negative about C.J. Stroud. Now, obviously, depending on who you are, if you're that first scout, you think he's like Pat Mahomes but a little bit more athletic, it's a no-brainer. He goes number one. But there's certainly a lot of negatives. The second scout said he's Fields. He's an athlete. He's not a quarterback. Second scout said he's Dwayne Haskins, which, rest in peace, not a very good quarterback. Uh, interesting note here from another guy says, people say, don't compare Ohio State quarterbacks. No, there are comparisons to be made. They run the same offense and they're very programmed. One read. Stroud's very deliberate, very streaky. He's not a playmaker when he has, uh, has to get out of trouble. He played 30 other games beside the Georgia game. Where has it been? That was a comment somebody else brought up. Okay, the Georgia game. Great. What else? This guy's very quiet, introverted personality. He's going to be a top five pick and he's not a top five pick. So it's actually mostly negative about Stroud, aside from that first scout. And again, um, and and this isn't everybody on planet Earth, but just the small sample size of about four scouts per guy. Bryce Young, everybody massively over the hill in love with this guy. He is a playmaker. He's the dude for sure. Stroud, one guy said he's Mahomes. Everyone else is like, this guy is not good. Will Levis kind of sounds a lot like um, Jordan Love. Says, you got to watch his 21 tape because last year was just not very good. He had a crap offensive line and young receivers. He had a new offensive coordinator, not trying to make excuses for him. He's got a strong arm, good athlete, needs to show better touch, blah, 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 blah. That's Jordan Love, right? He got new coaches, new players, new offensive line, and he went to crap. And again, a lot of these guys are just kind of tearing him up. Uh, physically talented, good mechanics. 24 years old, though, mainly a pocket passer, tons of interceptions, doesn't excite me, no feel. No vision, no pocket poise, no clue the rush is coming, gets wrecked, one read, not accurate, doesn't escape pressure, tons of injuries, project. 
And then, bum, 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 Anthony Richardson. It's funny because they always start with the scouts that like him. Here's the first scout. Florida had a bad season, and this guy was the reason they had a bad season. He was so inconsistent. But at the Combine, he'll have the strongest arm there, and people get excited about him. He'll be a workout wonder. Second scout said, basically, freak athlete, but a long way to go to be an NFL passer. And he said, I mean a long way. You're rolling some big dice if you take him in the first round. Or you have a lot of rocks in your head, it says. (laughs) He cannot play quarterback, said a third scout. He's as raw as raw can be. Delivery is like he's never thrown a football before. He's not accurate. He'll have a couple wild plays and just running around, but he isn't even that special running around. Doesn't know when to run. Doesn't know when not to run. Ten times he just chucks it up into coverage against the one time it actually looks good. Guys like this don't change. Jeez, that is brutal. Holy crap. (laughs) We'll skip Hendon Hooker, even though he might be a first-round guy, but probably not. We'll get on to, I think it's the final one, the running backs, and um, obviously there's only one, eh, maybe two that matter, Bijan Robinson. I know, I know we're not drafting Bijan. We're talking about it anyways. Everyone compares him to Saquon. Barkley reincarnated. He does everything. He can catch, uh, has eyes, can run. He's the most complete back. It's the value you put on the position. Saquon could change the game in just one play, a second scout said. This guy does not have that. I do not think he's a better inside runner. Saquon doesn't like it in there. Oh, I do think he's a better inside runner. Fair enough. Says that Saquon always wants to bounce it outside. This guy, you can sort of give him the ball a bunch, and he knows how to create yards. Everybody's making him out to be Walter Payton. He reminds me of Le'Veon Bell, which is good. Says he'll be a good player, blah, blah, blah. Not fast, but quick as you know what, and a great kid. Pro Bowl character kid. That's pretty cool. I like that line, Pro Bowl character. Another scout compared him to Edger and James. If you want a running back, he's a top 10 pick. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, we'll do, we'll do Jameer and then we'll get out of here. Says he was the most explayer, uh, explosive player I saw this year. Reminds me of Christian McCaffrey. Run and catch, they spread him out in the slot a lot. He could make the team as a receiver, plus he's an excellent kickoff returner. Fastest 40 among running backs at 4-3-6. Says, gets to top speed quickly, a second scout said. Runs hard, can get the corner. Been through a lot in his life, really overcome a lot. Really, really good kid. Compared him to Alvin Kamara. And then finally, the last guy said, he'll be a 1B just because I don't think he's powerful. Got to be in a rotation, which makes sense for the Packers. That's basically how we treat Aaron Jones, right? It's just, it's you're in a, not not that he couldn't handle it, but that's just how we do it here. So anyways, um, again, some good insight. It's always tough because you hear great things and then you hear terrible things, so it's good for context. But it's also good because there's some guys, it's all good, right? There's really no negatives. And then other guys, it's hard to find anyone that likes them. Like that Anthony Richardson thing was freaking insane. It wasn't a single scout that thinks he's even a quarterback. Yikes. But anyways, uh, again, we'll, we'll try to keep clipping along here and uh, staying up to date on the latest draft prospect news and notes and whatnot. Good to get the perspective from uh, some of the scouts that are doing some of this work. And uh, there will be a tar- part two to this as well. So we'll be able to for sure check that out. But I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a great night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.